0: All right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself, episode number eight, we have been on fire. These past episodes have been moving fast. We've been helping a lot of people, educating a lot of people. Of course, the goal is empowering a lot of people, so empowering a lot of people and their children. So many posts on Instagram I'm seeing of moms putting up their children, eating different foods, and uh, a lot of the foods that are recommended, and uh, listening to the podcast. And another beautiful thing I see is people just grabbing all of these products that I'm mentioning that are toxic to you and your children, opening their garbage can and throwing it away. It's been sort of a little viral thing that's taken over. And it's really cool to see the effect of what we can do as people speaking about how to empower ourselves and learning about what is not benefiting our health. All right. So today we have a lot to go over, really good stuff. I'm going to be dropping some bombs on the knowledge. I'm going to be going over some really good products, something that's been a demand and asked for since day one. And I have a best selling author coming on as a special guest. So, without further ado, why don't we just jump right into the Knowledge Bomb segment? All right, today's Knowledge Bomb is on something important. Okay, it's going to be on a heavy metal, but this heavy metal is important because it flows into our food supply, our water. The air. So, why don't we learn about what this heavy metal is, what it does, where it's found, and how to cut it out of our lives or reduce it as best as possible? I'm talking about arsenic. Arsenic, arsenic, arsenic. Arsenic is present in food, and we need to know. Arsenic is one of the nastiest heavy metals out there. It's natural, but it seeps into our supply. It's found in the earth's crust, it's in the water, it's in the air, food, soil, as I mentioned. There's two forms, right? You have the organic form and inorganic form. The inorganic form is the nasty one. That's the one that can make us really sick. There's the IARC. This is the group that um, basically classifies different substances on a grade of how carcinogenic they are to our health. And one being group one being the worst. Arsenic is considered a group one carcinogen, meaning that it's connected to cancers of the skin, of the bladder, and of the lungs. Not only that, it's implicated in diabetes, heart disease, organ damage, and developmental issues. Who's the most vulnerable population? Children. They're developing. They're vulnerable. If we're putting this into their bodies, it's going to affect them. Where is it found? Mostly in food and water. What foods? Rice, chicken. And I'm going to touch into the water too. I want to start with rice. Listen, I am Latin. Rice is a staple of our food. I've been eating rice forever. And there was a time where uh, we were eating arroz, that's how we say it, we were eating arroz all the time. And um, I kind of strayed away from that when that whole low carb fad came in when I was in college. And really the only rice I would eat was brown rice and I would eat chicken, brown rice and chicken and some vegetables. And to me, that was the healthiest, right? From a macronutrient standpoint and a fitness standpoint, that's good, that's good stuff the problem is, is I look at micronutrients. I look at toxicity. I look at what we're exposed to. I look at quality of food. All right. Macronutrients are just a sliver of health. We need to pay close attention to this. So I was eating so much rice, so much chicken without knowing the effects. So I'm going to go into really some major things about both so we can learn and then make decisions and shift just a quick shift. We don't have to stop everything, but we need to shift. So rice Back in 2012, there was a Consumer Report investigation, right? And uh, they looked at 60 varieties of rice. And what happened is they found most of the rice coming out in America had excessive amounts of arsenic. There was a study by the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey that found the urine and in the urine of 3,633 rice eaters versus non rice eaters. When they analyzed this, and in the urine, those who ate two servings of rice a day had 70% higher levels of arsenic in the urine versus those who did not. That's pretty incredible. Just the power of food and how it reflects on excretion in the urine. Rice accumulates ten times higher in these. uh, Rice accumulates ten times higher arsenic than mostly other grains. Okay, so let's keep that in mind. What happens is um, usually when there's excessive arsenic in the soil, they plant rice in there to suck it up. Uh, So we know that once we have a bowl of rice, we are uh, to be cautioned about the amount of arsenic in there. So. If you look it up, if you go on Google, you can look up um, consumer reports and it's called a uh, seven point uh, system to look over how to find uh, what servings are recommended for rice from this group. To put it in perspective, they're recommending half a cup of rice to three, three quarters a cup of rice a week for adults, but then children no more than a quarter cup of rice. Now that may shake some people because they may be giving their children much more rice than that. I know when I was little, I was eating more rice than that. How about rice cakes? Well, rice cakes, they recommend three to five per week for adults. And then for children, only two per week. Well, I see kids eating peanut butter, rice cakes with some raisins on it, some jelly on it. So let's pay close attention to this, right? Our kids, remember, as I mentioned, are more susceptible. What about rice milk? Well, they recommend that children under five shouldn't even be drinking rice milk all right? Rice milk is super concentrated. It's more concentrated than these rice uh, foods. So let's keep that in mind. And then babies, 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 they uh, recommend one serving of infant rice cereal per week, right? As an alternative to different ones. But infant rice cereal, they, uh, the FDA is now putting a parts per billion uh, number on it. I think it was a thousand parts per billion that they recommend for infant rice cereal, a thousand or five thousand. I I'd have to recheck, but regardless, Just keep this in mind, one serving of infant rice cereal. So if you have a baby, you shouldn't be giving them more than one serving, okay? What they found was rice from Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana had the highest amount of arsenic. Brown rice, interestingly enough, had 70% higher arsenic than white rice. Why? Because the outer layer concentrates. It's more than than white rice. That doesn't mean start pigging out on white rice instead of brown rice. That means just be informed and know if you're gonna have brown rice, have a serving, small serving, once or twice a week and leave it be. They also found that the brown rice when coming from Cali, Pakistan, and India had lower than any other parts of the world. The lowest was found in California basmati rice. That's why I tell my patients if they want to continue eating rice to opt for California white basmati rice, that was the lowest, but also from uh, India and Pakistan had lower. And sushi rice interestingly enough had low amounts of arsenic compared to other US rices. Um, As far as other options, why don't we just start exploring other grains if we're eating grains? Quinoa, much more nutrient dense, protein dense, mineral dense, buckwheat. Doesn't have wheat. Don't have to worry about it with gluten, but buckwheat, buckwheat, buckwheat is an awesome grain that I Eat, traditionally eat, or I tend to eat a lot. Millet, amaranth. So here are other choices, okay? The thing is this. Organic label doesn't make a difference in the amount of arsenic. Organic doesn't really account for the amount of concentration of heavy metals. So let's keep that in mind too. Organic does not make a difference in arsenic levels, but keep better in mind the foods that I met or the types of rice that I mentioned if you're going to be eating rice. There's also a tactic that can remove up to 30% of arsenic and it's using six to 10 cups of filtered water. Uh, per one cup of rice. So that's a lot more water than people usually use. But what they found is that if you cook it and then drain the water out, you can remove up to 30%, which is really cool. Um, When it comes to water and arsenic, the best thing, the best thing, the best thing, the best thing to do is get filtered water. I already mentioned about BPA in my other shows. So you shouldn't be drinking from plastic water bottles. That shouldn't be a habit. What, what, you, what you could and should be doing is having a water bottle or a water filter at home, like a Berkey, like a reverse osmosis system, and then putting it in glass or stainless steel and therefore drinking your water throughout the day. Um, so keep that in mind. That's going to be able to remove the arsenic load from the water. Now, I want to get into something that is really interesting about arsenic and another food. When it comes to arsenic in chicken, it's been in chicken. Since 1944, the FDA uh, started approving arsenic in the chicken feed. Why? Well, to reduce parasites in the meat. Okay, that makes sense. But then it's also to plump them up and also to give chicken that pink hue that looks so good when we buy chicken. And the um, the drug company was Pfizer that uh, made this deal. And they provided a drug called Roxarson. That Roxarson drug had arsenic in it and they put it in the feed of chickens to again, do those aforementioned things. But 75 to 80% of US chickens were given Roxarson from 1944 to 2015. So that means if you were eating chicken between those times, and I know I was from kid to teenager to young adult, then you were exposed to arsenic building, building, building in your body. So what happened was 65 years of this, the FDA said it was inactive. It's excreted in the feces of these chicken and it doesn't build up in the tissue. But in 2006, there was a study that showed that arsenic was in fact active. It was actually building up in the stored tissue of these chickens. And guess what? We were eating it and it was building up in our tissue. Even after that 206, 2006 study, it took five whole years for the FDA to finally run their own test and have the same results, five years. So for, for, for those 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 10, 11, five years where we knew that arsenic was building up, it was proven, but the FDA finally said, okay, after those five years. So then, the, so then Pfizer suspended the use of it. They said no more, but they still use it in other countries, of course. But still, even after that, nitarzone, nitarzone, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, nitarzone was still used for four more years in chicken feed, giving us arsenic. So not only that, not since, let's say, 2011, then we have 12, 13, 14, 2015, that's when arsenic stopped in the feed of these chickens, but it's still, it's still going through our environment. It still cycles in our environment. So what I want to show is this the corruption. The corruption behind, since the 40s, this pharmaceutical company and the FDA approving this. And so many years throughout 1944 to 2011, showing and saying that this doesn't build up in our system. And then showing in a study that it does and taking five years to, to remove it finally from the system. So if you ate chicken from those years, which I know I did, you're exposed to arsenic. The nice thing is you can test for arsenic in different ways, get in touch with a naturopathic or functional doctor, they can test your hair, they can do some urine tests, they can do some very sensitive blood tests to find out if you're exposed to arsenic and what level. But as I mentioned before, arsenic is connected to different diseases and predispositions to diseases. So why don't we just empower ourselves and start checking and then removing these things like the rice or minimizing them, uh, minimizing the chicken and then getting that good water filter and then boom, flushing that arsenic out of our system. Um, All right. I hope that helped. I hope you learned something and I hope that we can start making changes for our lives and our children's lives. Let's move on to our product review. Deodorants. This is by popular demand. It was asked nonstop. So why not? A lot of us have many questions about deodorants. So what I'm going to do today, look, I can't cover all the deodorants. I can't cover all the natural deodorants, all the crappy ones. But what I can tell you is what to look for and how to look for it and give you some resources, how to move forward about what you're putting under your arms. Okay. So one of the first things I like to talk about with any deodorants It's the difference between well deodorants and antiperspirants, right? A lot of these are antiperspirant deodorants, which actually stop you from perspiring but make you smell good at the same time. And and a lot of these natural ones are just deodorants, all right? Antiperspirants utilize aluminum. Aluminum is how they clog up your pores and kill those bugs that cause the sweating and the smell. And that's the way they execute their job. The problem is aluminum is a nasty metal, okay? So a lot of people go, I don't use aluminum deodorant because it causes cancer. Well, look, the consensus in studies, we can't say that it causes cancer directly, right? Because there's only a few studies that show the consensus is no. It's it, They say no in the science, in the science community, but it's based on a few studies and they're not really well designed. So there's some conflicting evidence, but right now, Does aluminum cause breast cancer? Science says no. The problem is this, it disrupts the bacteria. It's like an atomic bomb into that good, look, probiotics are not just in our gut, they're hanging out in our skin, right? So disruptions of this ecological harmony of bacteria can cause a lot of issues, right? So most of the aluminum, actually what they saw, builds up in what they call the upper outer quadrant. So if you you cut the uh, pec or the breast into four sections, the upper outer quadrant, which is closest to the shoulder, that's where aluminum mostly builds up. Well, maybe not coincidentally, most breast cancers present in that side too. So look, I'm not saying aluminum causes breast cancer, but I am saying we need to be more careful about what we're putting under our arms, particularly women. Okay. Also, researchers found that there's high amounts of aluminum and cystic breast fluid when they open it up. Another thing. So like, why don't we think about it this way? Is the body creating these cysts to siphon and hold in this excessive amount of aluminum that's building up in the body? And if that's the case, how incredible the body is. All right. So before I get started with these, um, these uh, deodorants and antiperspirants, why don't we keep this in mind? There is a resource called the Environmental Working Group. And I talk about it all the time. But at this point, to me, they're doing the best work out there. And they have a database called the Skin Deep Database, right? And this, look, this may be repetitive. I know most of you may know this, but there's some of you that don't. So what you can do is type in your deodorant, type in your makeup, your concealer, your bronzer, whatever it is, shampoo, and you can get a report on where yours stands, right? And it's graded. And if any of your products come up with a red or even a yellow, think about moving them out. And if the number is in the green, that's what we want. We want green products coming in your body. They also have EWG certified products, which started a few years ago. This is nice because we know if it's EWG certified, it's clean. All right. So you can actually don't even have to type in your particular type of deodorant but you can type in just deodorant on the top and it'll show you a grade of all the EWG EWG certified ones and then all of the low numerical ones. That's really nice resource, right? Because if you're at the supermarket or even you just wanna take, uh, you you wanna account for all of your products, you can do that by just typing it in there. All right, let us start with the crappiest one. And I just grabbed this one, but really secret degree, Dove, Mitchum, Old Spice. They're all the same. They're just versions of the same thing. But today I'm going to start with Secret Ultra Dry Vanilla, Vava Vanilla with great marketing. They got a flower in here. It looks so natural, right? Invisible and solid. And it's a new formula. So of course, who doesn't want new? Um, Great marketing. For a crappy product, so let's let me talk about this. First and foremost, we know that the active ingredient is aluminum. I just spoke about aluminum; it's an atomic bomb to the good flora under our arms, and it also potentially can build up in our in our system. All right, so aluminum is one thing already that I don't like about it, and then it has certain ingredients. The cool thing is, it's back to that EWG Skin Deep uh, database. You can type in this. Uh, secret, and it'll come up, and then you can see the report on all of these ingredients, which is really cool. But the first one that's concerning is, next to aluminum, is cyclopentasiloxane. All right, and you may see this in all of the deodorants that I mentioned, right, all the other conventional ones. But this is expected to be harmful or toxic. The uh, Environmental Canadian Domestic Substance List has it as harmful and toxic, and one or more animal studies show that uh, it's connected to tumor formation in moderate doses. And also, the same goes with endocrine, disrupt- uh, endocrine disruption for your hormones, and then neurotoxicity. All right? It also has mineral oil, and you'll see that in pretty much every single conventional one. And guess where that's coming from? Petroleum. All right, petroleum, petroleum—that's sludge basically, and that's a toxic substance because petroleum is usually adulterated with other substances like benzene. We know benzene is a really nasty chemical. And this, uh, when you look on Environmental Working Group, it says that, that it has expected organ toxicity, immune and aller, uh, allergic toxicant. So if you're sensitive, you're, gonna, you, you're highly likely to be sensitive to this is when it comes to allergies, but it's also gonna suppress your immune system. Talc. Talc is another one that you'll find conventionally through the board. The problem is with talc is this. There's a big chance that it's contaminated with asbestos. There's actually a lot of data out there that shows that talc is usually uh, contaminated with asbestos. Well, we know all those commercials. Have you been, have you came into contact with asbestos? You know, those lawyer commercials that you see in the middle of the day? Well, call, you know, Robinson and Roberts 1 800 asbestos. Well, there's a reason why, because it's connected to lung toxicity, all right? And there's a lot of data that shows this. In Canada, from what I understand, it's prohibited. And restricted in any of the cosmetic ingredients. They take out talc because they know. And talc was actually implicated in uh, various lawsuits for different companies. If you look it up, you can Google it and research it. I won't talk further about it, but uh, there's expected organ toxicity and uh, additive amounts of toxic exposure. So the more you use it, it builds up in toxin. What about fragrance? I mean, I spoke about that before. And we know fragrance is an umbrella term for thousands and thousands of different chemicals. So on the uh, Environmental Working Group Skin Deep database, the fragrance is an eight out of 10, all right? So it's known to cause allergies. It's an immunotoxicant, meaning it just, it's like a a forest fire on your immune system. And that's shown in multiple studies. And then we have respiratory toxicant. It's an irritant to the respiratory system. And it just messes up the uh, ecological system too, right? So it's an environmental toxin. Look, secret, as I mentioned, degree, Dove, Mitchum, Old Spice—all these convent- conventional uh, deodorants—in a vacuum, without any toxins in your food, in your water, and other anything else you're putting on your body. Yeah, your body, your your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, your skin—it'll detoxify. It'll it'll leave. But the problem is, is we have to think about toxic loads. All right. So this is not to scare anyone. It's just to empower us and make moves. Let's start shifting the perspective. All right. Let's shift gears and go to some better ones. All right. Next one I'm going to talk about is the one, you see, Tom's always falls right in the middle. When I spoke about toothpaste, it's one of those toothpaste that, yeah, you know, if you have it at at your dad's house that you're visiting in Long Island, then go ahead and use it. You know, if, if, if it's something that you, you you found in your bottom of your drawer and you're running out of the house and you need deodorant, sure, use it. Here's why. Look, Tom's is transparent when it comes to their website. They'll tell you where everything comes from. Um, and they're proud of it. But sometimes I question why. Uh, a, a lot of the ingredients they use are, they're pretty good. But some things... That concerned me, I'd like to talk about. First and foremost, like all of the Tom's products, they'll tell you they're not animal tested, which is beautiful. I really do support that. I think it's terrible how we animal test. Um, And then it uses no artificial colors, flavors, fragrances, or preservatives. Much better already, 10 steps ahead of secret, maybe 11. Um, And then they share every ingredient. Yes, they do, I've seen that. Sustainable practices, and they strive to maximize recycling and recyclability. So they're eco-conscious, which is wonderful. Um, The problem is a few things. One of the major ingredients for deodorants is propylene glycol or propanediol, and they mix that with, um, with sodium stearate, and that for- forms like the base of the deodorant. Um, so Tom's uses propylene glycol, but it's derived from corn. It doesn't say anything about non-GMO corn being used, and you know how I feel about GMOs. I've been talking about them since day one on this show in 2010 in med school right? I have a lot to say about them. So the problem, like always with Tom's, is that they're transparent and proud about telling you their ingredients, but they're not really sourcing the best ingredients, right? So it's coming from corn and no guarantee that it's non-GMO corn. Is it organic? I don't know, Tom. Why don't you tell me? laurate, again, something that comes from vegetable oils. From where? What vegetables? Soy? Corn? All right, So a little bit more transparency. So it's, like I said, this is why it puts it in the middle of the road, not to be used every single day. Um, now at least the fragrance they use, as they mentioned, they don't use synthetic fragrance. They're using plant oil fragrance. Great. I'm for it. All right. Um, and the asc- ascorbic acid comes from fruits and not, you know, sewer sludge and, and mold growth. Um, so like I said, look, Tom, not an everyday thing, um, but I need Tom to be more transparent. All right, let us go to my favorites. These are my favorites that I have on hand, but there's so many other good ones, right? And this is, like I said, where the resource comes in, the Skin Deep database, right? You type in deodorant, you'll get a huge list of EWG certified deodorants and the ones with the lowest number um, of toxicity. Really cool stuff. So the ones I have at hand are the ones that I saw at Whole Foods. I do use one of them fairly regularly, but let's start with the all good one, all right? All good, So on the Environmental Working Groups database, it's a one, so it's the lowest. And the the nice thing I use, I think I'm getting older, I can't even see this really. All right, I got to put on, I got to get some better context, I know I do. All right, so what we see is this, look, propanediol, as I mentioned, remember Tom's uses propylene glycol, propanediol mixes with sodium stearate and that forms the base of the deodorant. Um, They use this, but you know... As opposed to Tom's, where it's coming from, because they tell you that it's coming from non-GMO sugar cane. All right, non-GMO sugar cane, not genetically modified corn, not genetically modified uh, soy, and then the rest of their ingredients are coming are organic and coming from plants. Plants, arrowroot, malaleuca, which is tea tree oil, but it's organic. Okay, it's using basil oil organic. It's using neem, organic. This is nice. Frankincense, organic. So the oils for the scents that they're using are coming from high quality, right? It's it's really nice to see that. And it's not tested on animals, which you know I'm a big fan of in the first place, but this is how it should be. No, no aluminum, no propylene glycol, no parabens, not deriving their ingredients from genetically modified and no other chemicals. And when they do put in the scents, like the oils, you know that they're organic. So that's what you want to look for. You want to see that it's organic uh, ingredients. You want to see where they're deriving all of these um, constituents for this ingre- for this deodorant. The other one, and the one that I tend to use, is Schmitz. Schmitz was bought out by a really big company. I don't remember which one, but I know that I need the sensitive one because a lot of people were complaining about the baking soda used in Schmitz, but they have a sensitive skin formula and a lot, they came out with a a longer list of them, actually, because I, I think it was across the board. A lot of people were really complaining about it. But again, this, in my opinion, is not as good as the all good one. But they do have some really clean natural ingredients. They use coconut oil, um, and a lot of the scents that they use are uh, plant derived, which you know that's always beautiful to see, right? Not not fragrance. There's no fragrance in here. Um, But the the thing about Schmitz is they don't um, always guarantee that it's organic. I don't see anything about organic, actually. Um, But it has no aluminum, no propylene glycol, no artificial fragrances. For me, this works well. I'm not a really big sweater in the first place, but it smells good. Um, It lasts throughout the day. And I think that's a big problem with a lot of people when it comes to deodorant. They worry if it's going to last all day. But look... When you compare it to conventional antiperspirants deodorants, yeah, you could put one application in the morning because it's toxic, because it's suppressing your sweat, because it's it's chemicals flowing through your body, right? Versus something that's more natural, yeah, you may need to reapply it once or twice in the day. That's okay. Um, So look, these are the ones that I got my hands on. But like I said, go on the Environmental Working Group Skin Deep Database. Type in and start researching. I, I also cycle with the Schmitz. I use Corpus, and Corpus um, has all plant derived ingredients, and it's a really good one. And I love the smell actually of those the most. They have a nice line. Um, let's see if I can think of any. No, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but like I said, you can go online and check and, uh, and start changing your deodorant if you're using one of these conventional ones, all right? So, look, that's the whole thing that we do here. We, we go, we chip away. right? So next week, we're going to do some other good ones. Next week the week after, we're going to do some really good ones too, but it's empowering you all, okay? Boy, am I excited for this next segment. We have a best-selling author. She is so good on the mic. You guys better get ready for this one, all right? So let's move on to the next segment. Today's special guest, one of my favorite people I've been following for quite a while, she is changing the game when it comes to hormones, female hormones and everything else around that, Dr. Jolene Brighton.
1: Okay. In the house. In the house. She's <laughs> in the house. Okay.
0: <laughs> you were holding that for quite a while, right?
1: No, I wasn't. But then it just felt like a good setup. And mm-hmm. it's like T-ball. You don't, you don't not swing when yeah. the ball's just sitting there ready for you. <laughs> well, you
0: have to. You have to hit that home run. So <laughs> yeah. we were just talking about my cups. And I want to bring this to light because these cups are just always hanging out on the table.
1: So good.
0: This is the nerdy one. There's is the is plant
1: it? cell, the animal cell. We've yeah. got DNA on there. Mm-hmm. And then you guys can't see. There's like monkey to man. like
0: Yeah, evolutionary... Change. This is like the cup when it comes to all cups.
1: Look at that. I know there's even photosynthesis going on, mm-hmm. but you got Freddie Mercury. It's a hard call. Which one's better? Yeah. I so
0: I'll, my whole vibe is like art and science. So yeah. why not just, you know, you know, I love Freddie Mercury. Who doesn't love him?
1: Totally. That's actually how my house is decor- decorated. There's like skulls, there's DNA, there's actually anatomically correct hearts, like cool. all throughout and like, but artistically done. And yes. yeah, there's actually a... My son for a present bought me this like heart anatomically correct candle and he gets upset because I won't burn it. Because yeah. Um, yeah, it's but, too nice. Yeah, no, I'm like, somebody made, like they made wax into a heart. You don't just burn that, but no. apparently you're supposed to use candles. That's the thing. <laughs> Not
0: when they're aesthetically pleasing. No. no. You don't. You <laughs> keep it as art and you have the art vibe it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to be in Portland. So let's let me um meet up with you and we'll do a good brunch or something. Oh like yeah, that, right? totally, totally. And, and any listeners or viewers, again, we want to hear some good um recommendations over there for good spots to eat, right?
1: Oh yeah. So my so I have to say, do you know nom nom paleo, Michelle Tam? No. Oh my God! You should know her. So she has um. I I all have a story to tell you about the time we met, and I had food poisoning. It was terrible, but <clears throat> she's a good friend now, and I actually told her about my favorite brunch spot, which is Radar, and I love it. The Dr. Brayton special. They will bring you a plate of bacon that they do from pig all the way through in their restaurant, mm-hmm. and black coffee, and that's like my jam. That's
0: your jam. Yeah, I'm
1: like going on a Sunday morning. I'm like just feed me bacon and coffee, and tell me I'm pretty. Let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I told her about about it. And I was like, this is my super secret brunch spot. And she went and then she blew it up on Instagram because she's got like a gazillion followers and everything. And then suddenly the place was packed. Yeah.
0: So no more secret.
1: No more secret. But the funny thing is, is that like, there's so many times I've been in there while I walk in. Lily's the owner, a good friend of mine. And she's like, uh, your fans are here. Like, can you go say hi to them? So people actually do this thing where they go to Portland and they eat where I eat. And it's like, people actually go in and they're like, maybe I'll see Dr. Brighton here. Yeah. And the first time it happened, I was like, now I'm super self-conscious of like, I don't want people to see me eating. Like Uh, I'm that girl in high school uh of like, I don't want to eat and people Uh see me eat. And like, (laughs) but it was so bizarre. I was like sitting there with my family and, and, yeah, my response is always like, I'm not as cool as you think I am. I just wanted, like, I just don't want to let you down there. Yeah,
0: none of us are. <laughs> yeah. I'm far from cool, trust me. <laughs> totally. You can see how nerdy I am by that cup you have in your hand.
1: I know, I love it. And we matched, like, pastels today. This was that not wasn't planned. even planned. We were just like, whatever, April, well, let's look, do this. Yeah, <laughs> if we're
0: transitioning to spring. Like, you might, we might as well be celebrating with our with the way we uh, present ourselves with these colors. So
1: Totally, totally. <clears throat> so, okay,
0: look, look, look. Your book is on fire right now, Beyond the Pill. Literally, it's... I, every t- Why every time I go on Instagram, there's something that says beyond the pill or a quote from it or, oh, did you read this chapter? And the nice thing is, is it's set up so somebody can open it up and can just jump from chapter to chapter, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just beginning to end like that. That's awesome resources, but you always encourage this is a chock full of information beginning to end, right?
1: Oh, yeah. And I wrote it... I, I came about it a couple of ways. One was... I didn't want this to be a health book that you read, a couple of years it's obsolete, or you just read, you bought this book. I, here's my thought. I was like, trees. We all love them. Mm-hmm. If we're going to print a book, make sure that that book stays with that woman for life. And yeah. so I wrote it so it can be a resource over and over, but I also designed it as a choose-your-own-adventure as well, where you know what we do is so individualized. How do you put that in no book? And one way I did that was with quizzes. And so What I tell women is you can get in and get out. You can get in, take the quiz, identify this is my hormone imbalance, go right to the section you need to read, start working on that. And when you start feeling better, then go into the rest of the book. You can read it front to back. Um, There have been lots of women who still message me and it's like flattering. And then at the same time, I'm like, that's not good. And they're like, I got your book. It was so good. I stayed up all night. I just stayed up straight through the night, read the whole thing. Uh And I'm like, that's awesome. My (laughs) ego is like, yeah. And then my doctor self is like, "Wait a minute, but did you read the part about sleep and mm-hmm. like how important that is?" Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> so it is something that like I will say that my publishers took a big chance on me. Um this a book like this has never been written. And so it's never been proven tested in the market before and when i told them they were like yeah of course we want people to read it front to back and i'm like okay so you have estrogen dominance and pms and you figure that out like you know 20 pages in and then it says and then read 300 pages to find the solution i'm uh, like what this one will do is rip the book in half and throw it across the room and yeah. curse my name yeah. like day in and day out like yeah. we're not doing that
0: and go on google or something yeah. right? and just <laughs> search there
1: yeah and totally go to google and so instead i designed it so you can take the quiz get in get out get the information information you need. If you want to spend time reading through it, if you are someone who is a troublemaker, I welcome that. You can go in and be like, why do I really want to eat that broccoli? Mm -hmm. I'm going to outline that for you. What do I really need to poop every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. I got a whole chapter on
0: why. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love something that really ties us together in our approaches and philosophies and passions is that informed consent is such Mm -hmm. a major, major highlight in people's care, yeah. right? And I've heard a few podcasts uh, for over time with you on it. And you always talk about informed consent because mm-hmm. it's so important. Yeah. Do women who go to the doctor get informed consent before they get on a pill?
1: That's like, that is just the rub right there is that... Because hormonal birth control has become so ubiquitous in our society, I actually say like a doctor would pass you the pill before they pass you sugar. Like people are like, they hand it out like candy. I'm like, with what we know about sugar, nobody's going to pass you candy as quick as they might pass you the pill. And part of that is because they believe very much at their core that this will fix your problem. So if you're a doctor and you've got a pill and it fixes every female ill, why would you not want to pass that to her? But the problem is, is on the upstream, it's not that the doctors are bad. It's that like we don't have the education taking place to really inform doctors what does hormonal birth control do. Like the stuff that's in my book is after me sitting in PubMed for hours, uh, hours upon hours of clinical practice and bringing all of that together. That I'm like I was never taught mm-hmm. these things about hormonal birth control. And when I talk with, you know, doctors of all backgrounds, they often don't know wh- how, what the pill can do to a woman's body. So. No, women are not given the full story. And part of that is because it's seen as something benign or the way it's taught to doctors is like, eh, some women have strokes, but it's really, really low. It's not even worth discussing. No big deal. And it's like, well, maybe, unless as I talk about my book, she has a genetic mutation that puts her at higher risk. Like, I've seen women as teenagers in their 20s who've had a stroke, who've had a clot. Like, this does happen. And when we talk about statistical significance, there's the statistical significance from the research perspective, and there is, statistically speaking, it's a mild increased risk, like breast cancer. Mm -hmm. However, we're talking about breast cancer. Like, we have to frame it in what we are talking about yeah. it's not like oh this many women might lose their hair like it sucks to lose your hair but you don't die if you lose your hair breast cancer uh, stroke heart attack diabetes it impacts you it impacts society impacts everyone in your life so No, we're not given the full story, and a big reason for that is because doctors aren't given the full story before they are ever taught to prescribe it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a loaded question as to why they're not getting the full story. That's another conversation and podcast. Well,
1: and I think, but one thing worth noting about why aren't they getting the full story is they got a lot to learn. I mean, we've been through medical school. There's a lot to learn, and when it comes to women's health and what gynecologists are learning, like they're usually OB gynecologists, so they're also catching babies. Like, there's a lot to learn. And with hormonal birth control, it's something that it's like they they learn like kind of the surface stuff, but it doesn't go as deep. And the other issue is that it challenges on some level, this idea that hormonal birth control is part of the women's movement. And so it's a woman's right to have access. Mm. And so it's been a long time that it's like, you're not even supposed to question it. I mean, when I first started talking about this, the number of haters I got that were like, you're anti women, you're anti this, you're anti that. And I'm like, no, the reality is, is that I'm pro informed consent and you having all the information, whatever you choose at the end of the day, it's not my business as your doctor to like tell you how to live your life, but if you choose to take the pill or get an IUD, I need to give you the full story, the queue, and then I need to monitor you and make sure that you're safe while you're on it, and that's what I did in the book, is I'm like, here's what your doctor should test, this is what they should investigate. Like, if you have period problems that your doctor would prescribe the pill, here's what you should investigate. If you choose to use it, totally fine, you have that right to manage your symptoms, but if it's PCOS, you should know that first.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so let us let me play devil's advocate. What if I'm a doctor and I'm like, well, I've been practicing for a long time and every pediatric patient or a uh, teenage patient I have, it gets rid of their cystic acne. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: aren't I doing a good job by giving them the pill? What's, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, so that's another area of miseducation that are, is taught to doctors and doctors perpetuate is, the pill will fix your hormones, fix your period, fix your acne, And to that, whenever a woman will say to me, no, but I went on the pill and it did fix my acne. Now, mind you, some women, they get acne for the first time or it gets a lot worse being on it. My question to them is, what happens when you stop? when I stop, it comes right back or it's even worse. And I actually see acne is one of the number one symptoms of post-birth control syndrome that drives women right back on birth control. Cause nobody wants to be 30 something or 40 something looking like they're 14. Yeah, yeah, like it yeah. sucks. It we definitely does. And it's something that like in medicine we're like, okay, well, you're not going to die. This is not emergent, but like on an emotional and mental level, it does feel emergent. Like this is my face that yeah. everybody sees. And with, Post-pill acne, it doesn't just hang out on the face for most women. It's like neck knee, back knee, butt knee, like chest knee, like mm. all the acnes. And so, you know, I will hear from doctors that are like, this, this fixes that. But does it? How can something really fix, like, acne when it actually is hitting the root cause and making it worse? So what I mean by that is... You know, with acne, so as you know, as we know in our background, um, acne is usually the last thing to heal. Mm -hmm. Body prioritizes other organs, but it also has a root cause. So maybe it's that you don't have enough zinc and vitamin A and there's immune system issues going on. Well, hormonal birth control is depleting that. Maybe it's because you have gut dysbiosis and an imbalance in good gut bugs or leaky gut going on, what's known as intestinal hyperpermeability Mm -hmm. in the research. Oh, birth control causes that as well. And so when we start looking at what's going on, like, why does birth control work for some women's acne? Because it's super good at suppressing your testosterone fantastic except what about your muscle mass and what about your libido and and what about your bone and your brain and all the other tissues testosterone effects and so it is very much it's a it's a paradigm shift in philosophy to think that just because symptoms went away you actually fixed the underlying cause and I'm sure this is something that you see with your patients that I try to explain to women all the time is like Just because they cut out a body part doesn't mean they address the root cause. So Mm -hmm. you had a hysterectomy because at the root cause, your liver was making too much Mm 16-hydroxyestrone, so this really potent estrogen stimulating growths in your uterus, making your period heavy. So they took your uterus out. But wait a minute, your liver's still doing what it's doing. So what what is happening now? Now your breasts are being hit with all that. By the way, they were being hit all along with that estrogen, but it didn't fix the root cause and didn't address that. And maybe for where you were at in your pathology, it was time to remove that organ. But this is something where it also raises the question of respect in women's medicine, where it is perfectly fine to shut down our reproductive system. Like it is perfectly fine to shut down our system, remove our organs, and, and we're just supposed to go on with life. And it was interesting. There was an actual animal study that came out at the end of 2018 showing that these rodents uh, that had their uterus removed could not actually get through a maze. Hmm. So we're understanding now that we've been cutting out women's like genital region. We've been cutting out all kinds of parts, but taking out a u- uh, uterus. And it may actually interplay with the brain. And we're yeah. just now figuring that out.
0: Yeah. And how behind we are to just... In many ways, I could I, being in cancer, sometimes I think hundred years from now, if they look back and they go, that was really barbaric, the way yeah. we used to just cut off pieces and organs and limbs. It's, it's pretty incredible because we don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. We, we're just starting to understand what the gut microbiome does, mm-hmm. right? How do we not know the connections between, as you mentioned, the uterus and the brain, totally. right? Or the breast and the brain or liver and the brain, right? There's so much more to learn and know. And um, you're right, it's not be-all, end-all. It's not, okay, this is where the pathology is. Let's take a magnifying glass or a microscope and just take it out there and mm-hmm. you should be fine now.
1: Yeah, well, and that's the where we got to look at what does it really take to be great physicians? What does it take to be great scientists? It's curiosity and humility. And it's recognizing that our patients teach us that we don't know everything and that we have to remain curious and also humble that like, we get it wrong in medicine. Like we used to take out the appendix. Whoops! Like taking out organs. Man, next. we don't have a great track record with that. But like that, we learned from that, and we do better. Like we, you know, I've been in health, wellness, the medical arena for over 20 years. Like. I remember when the microbiome was a bunch of freeloaders who gave us a little bit of B12, vitamin K, but other than that, like didn't do much. And now look what, what we know. And this is where we just have to stay curious and humble enough to recognize we haven't conquered anything. We haven't learned everything. And there is no proof. That's kind of my husband is going to listen to this and he's going to be like, that's her pet peeve, you guys, is when people are like, we proved this, we're moving on. Yeah. And it's like, no, because we really never prove anything. We demonstrate and we show in the research and we validate, but to prove is just like close the book and say, we're done and walk away. And we yeah. never want to do that. We want to stay open to all those things. I mean, we're just now learning about like, you know, for a long time, we were like, oh, yeast is the worst and you don't want it in your body. And it's like, as we know, it's commensal organisms. And now we're understanding, oh, there's actually this whole fungal version of the microbiome going on. What does that do? Yeah.
0: I mean, look, we co-evolved with so many bugs for so long. They're here for a reason, right? Of course, overgrowth and pathogenic processes because of that is one thing, but we have to have an understanding that we can't just throw atomic bombs at things thinking that we're doing right by something because one study came out demonstrating, not proving. And I agree so wholeheartedly with you that there is no proof that this, this, and that, especially in the uh, the uh, oncology arena, right? We think we've proved one thing and another thing, but if a tumor grows, what's the reason why? Mm-hmm. We never question that. We yeah. just go, well, this is the end result and it's bad and a tumor will kill you, but... People are so quick to cut it out without understanding Mm -hmm. why or even questioning why. And the same goes with every hormonal dysfunction. Why? What's the root cause?
1: Totally. And with what you're saying there, you know, when people start saying like, well, allopathic medicine is the best because of this and that or naturopathic medicine or functional medicine or, you know, Chinese medicine. And what we have to recognize is that. Everybody has a time and a place. And I'm really, really grateful for acute medicine. I mean, that's the allopathic, really, philosophy is like are you dying right now? How do we stop that? Or just, does this need to be taken out? Like, thank goodness we have great surgeons, but we what we, you know, when we try to put like shift everything into one philosophy and prove it to be the, the best and it's the number one, we neglect that like there's a different perspective and different way of looking at things. I'm afforded the personality type of the Myers-Briggs that will argue all sides of everything, whether I agree with it or not, just to come to an understanding of like, what is the best viewpoint to be taking and all Mm -hmm. of this and that's where like when we're talking about oncology it's absolutely where you need to know why how did this party get started in the first place and like maybe you do need a surgeon to you know remove a part of your body maybe you do need chemo maybe you do need the gamut and thank goodness what are all these they're tools when you go to your tool shed would you be like Yo, I hate that hammer. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to look at that hammer. Like, what if you need the hammer? Like, yeah. we want to have all the tools available and use the right tool at the right time, but never stop asking why, yeah. because it's not enough. And it's, I really wish it was. I mean, I wish it was as simple as just being like, ah, just remove your lady parts and you'll be fine. And like, it's, yeah. it's just not that simple.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's so <laughs> complex. And again, the question is informed consent. How are we moving forward, right? Because mm-hmm. we only see one set of tools, And we have to be informed that, hey, you can do this. Hey, look at this one, right? And that's the beautiful part about even integrative teams, right? Because you have different forms of expertise bringing up different perspectives and moving forward in many different ways. But anyway, um, one thing that I was so, well, I, I was listening to your story with your period issues growing up, and yeah. I was so where I talk
1: about my vagina in yeah. my book. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, probably sure. one of the hardest things I've ever done professionally. <laughs> yeah, but
0: but we were just talking about the line between professional and like out there and real, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure that your readers, uh, and listeners, if it's on audio too, no. Yeah, yeah. So readers and listeners appreciate that. That's the realness coming out of you, right? Like the bond with you. So you suffered. A lot, right? With your periods growing up, mm-hmm. and you were given birth control. For how many years did you do it?
1: Ten. <laughs> how many years did you do it? <laughs> I did it for ten. Ten
0: years. Okay. And when you got off, would you say that there was a suppression of symptoms over time and over oh, time? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and we learn in naturopathic oh, school. So
1: much I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. There's
0: rebounds, right? Yeah. Rebound. The body rebounds. You just you start putting dust under a rug, and all of a sudden that rug explodes with the dust coming back. Totally. Down. So um, what did you experience when you came off?
1: Yeah. So I, and like, I just want to say though, like it was super great to be past the pill and get a break from like seven plus day periods and extreme pain. Now, mind you, now I know what I know. I'm like, Oh, those elevated prostaglandins, I needed more magnesium, omega three fatty acids, and I needed to support estrogen clearance and detoxification. And I still don't judge myself. And so for every woman listening, because women always, they, they, they come to this place where they, they arrive at a better understanding of their body and they're like, oh, I should have done all that differently. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that'd be nice. But like, we're here now. Let's move forward with tomorrow. So when I came off of hormonal birth control, um, <clears throat> why it's important that people know that I had these such painful, terrible periods that I dread, I counted them down like doomsday on my calendar. So I knew they were regular. I had a period from 14 until I was almost 18, so I was in my <clears throat> latter latter 17 um, that I started the pill and so I knew I had regular cycles. When I came off, I lost my period. And I come I come my mom's side of the family is a big Hispanic family like everybody has kids before age 20 everybody has more than one uh, child like fertility is not an issue we make jokes that all you have to do is look at a latina and she will get pregnant and so with that when i went to my doctor and i lost my period he took it was a gaslighting kind of situation where he was like you're misremembering this is probably how it always was you have pcos because Your period is gone, and now you have cystic acne. And I'm like, I never had acne before, and I had regular periods. Like, this was never an issue. To which, you know, he convinced me this, like, he'd never seen it before. And that what I was describing, no one had ever experienced in his clinical practice. To that, I look back, and I'm like, you either had a really bad bedside manner, or you weren't listening. Because... I thought I was a freak. (laughs) Now, thank goodness. I had a background in nutritional biochemistry and clinical nutrition and was in naturopathic medical school, learning about herbal medicine. And I integrated all these things. I got my period back. I was able to clear my skin. Um, When my period did come back, it came back with a vengeance. And I talk about this in my book of like, you think that you would want to die less when you bleed through your pants in a room full of future doctors, but no, it was just like being like, I just remember Mr. Atkins, if you're still alive in eighth grade at my elementary school, I still remember sitting in that plastic chair in that room, knowing that I bled through my clothes and being like, I have to wait for everyone to leave the room. Mm -hmm. And I still don't know how to get to the bathroom. And this is the nineties. So you guys, I totally had overalls on. And I remember just unclipping my overalls so they would hang over the back of me to get there. And like, I would, I would travel with extra clothes in my bag. I would tie a sweatshirt around. Like, thank you for that style that Mm -hmm. little fashion trend I could tie a sweatshirt Mm -hmm. around Um, my waist our fashion was like kind of awful then but whatever it worked for period problems but so with that when my period did come back that's what it was like. Again, it was super, super heavy. And then I, when I finally got that normalized, I will say I did one of the dumbest, many of the dumbest things I've done through my 20s. This is why don't judge yourself in your 20s mm-hmm. or as a teenager, but I got a copper IUD. Mm-hmm. Don't get a copper IUD if you have a history of painful or heavy periods, but I was stubborn and I didn't want to get pregnant mm-hmm. and I didn't trust fertility awareness method. And then I got that and that was just like downhill yeah
0: Yeah. the
1: periods became so heavy i became anemic because it was also a vegetarian at the time not eating i mean iron's not as bioavailable in plant sources that as it is in meat so it was like a combination of that going on but that was my experience and it wasn't until i got into clinical practice that i came to understand the majority if not all of women struggle in some way to come off of hormonal birth control and i also made the observation of like why is it that these patients are coming to me and their food sensitivities are increasing and they're doing everything right and they can't clear gut infections? And it was when I got into the research and I'm like, hold up, the pill acts like an antibiotic in your gut, but we stay on it for decades, not 10 days. Like we're on it for 10 years at a time. And it really, you know, as I went through all this research and working with my patients, in a lot of ways, I was able to heal myself as well from that kind of emotional standpoint and start to understand that like, All those gut issues I had, like I had gut issues as a kid. I resolved them. Then I got on the pill. Then like five years later, I can't tolerate eggs. I started having all these problems. Nobody's talking about food sensitivities then in a big way. So, But just to look back and be like, wow, I didn't have any libido through my 20s. And I thought something was wrong with me. And my doctor told me that was normal. And as it turns out, that's the pill does that and it actually changes your liver at the genetic level to express more sex hormone binding globulin, which grabs onto your testosterone and shuts down your libido.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, whoa. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, you know, very few and far between do I, cause I can talk for days.
1: I have to take on my jacket though. Yeah, yeah, I'm in yeah. like a minute The fire right is now, coming out. Well, I, and also I'm like I, having that PTSD story. I'm like, I'm sweating now.
0: Yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah it that's it. that's the sweating. fire coming out. It was, a, I, I find it so interesting, the <laughs> digestive or the gut microbiome yeah. and, and hormonal birth control, because it's, it's quite often that I see women who are actively on uh, birth control, who have issues with their bowels, who have issues with bloating and mm-hmm. heartburn and, you know, issues after eating. Every time I eat a bowl of rice, corn, soy, whatever it is they're eating, they're always having mounting and mounting Uh, Food intolerances and sensitivities. So it's really, really interesting the way that's all connected, right? Mm -hmm. The liver, the gut microbiome. Um, If every doctor knew that it acted like an antibiotic, I wonder if things would change.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in a difficult position because the right to control your reproductive health has absolutely been part of why we graduate college at a higher rate. Why women are CEOs and running for president mm-hmm. now. Like, We have made major progression. Um, in fact, one study attributed, the, the they said the pill had contributed to a 30% increase in wages, women getting paid more. So it's a tricky thing. We still need to be able to control our reproductive health. The other thing is that there's still all this squabbling on whether or not women are telling the truth. So, when it comes to the depression correlation, we can't say causation because of the way the research is being done. And so that causes doctors and scientists to step up every time a new study comes out, doesn't matter how big it is, and they're like, yeah, that's not causation, therefore it's not real. And it's like you really need a study to believe hundreds of thousands of women who've done been on yeah. the pill, the pill alone, not to mention everything else that we've seen. And there's research coming out. I mean, if we just look at like, if you subscribe to the serotonin deficiency, like that philosophy of why we get depressed, then you can understand that you need to metabolize your tryptophan correctly to make serotonin and you need your B vitamins, magnesium, all of this to run neurotransmitters. Which is being depleted. Depleted by the pill. Yeah. And in fact, uh, there is a study that showed that tryptophan metabolism is altered when a woman's on the pill, so much so that she makes neurotoxins while she's on it. So while she's on it, she makes toxins in her brain that progestin potentially increases free radical production in her brain. The brain at a structural level is different on an MRI scan if you're on hormonal birth control versus a woman who's not. And it's inflammatory, which Mm -hmm. we know that cytokines alone can contribute to depression. Exactly. We don't like at this point, I'm like, we don't need a study that says, this is true, therefore believe women. We actually need to start asking why her and not her. Mm -hmm. Because something's going on, why one woman starts the pill and is like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I feel amazing. And then this other woman starts the pill, and within a week, she can't even get out of bed. She's like, has debilitating depression. Like, there are variations happening, and we are at a place where we need to start exploring, like, why her, not her, so that we can be better in our informed consent. But it's yeah. a tricky thing of, like, I think that if you know that the pill can decimate the microbiome, then one thing you can do is you can tell your patient, track your symptoms, your gut symptoms ahead of time. Um, let's get you on a quality probiotic, be rotating that. Let me teach you about eating prebiotics. Like how do you actually optimize the terrain? That's stuff that I go through in my book. And you know, if you can do all of that, then you stand a better chance to be on this medication because we don't, we don't know what's going on in her life. And um, when I was in National Public Medical School, I did two years rotation in a homeless youth clinic high risk for sexual assault, women who are, you know, really, menstrual inequality hits them really hard. Like, affording tampons, like, things you've probably never thought about yeah. but tampons are expensive pads are expensive yeah. and so for these women to get a depo shot and know I don't have to deal with my period for three months and like I'm not going to get pregnant if something happens it's super super valuable but who would I be to be like that depo shot's gonna mess with your brain and it can do all this stuff like it's and not something about working in a high-risk population with that it's all about risk mitigation and how can you lower the risk so this is also a population that used Drugs and they'd be IV drug users. And so we had a clean needle exchange. There are people out there that want to judge them like crazy, but you know what? Like, it's like we ain't got time to be judging other yeah, people. Okay. Yeah. We got our own work to do, but it's something where it's like coming from that place, people are always like, How are you not anti-birth control and not pro, like, how can you be middle of the road like that? And like, because it's not my body, it's not my choice. And I've actually had my formative medical years really in that, okay whatever you choose is your choice, let me help lower the risk for you and inform you about it.
0: Exactly, the informed consent part. Mm -hmm. It's so important because if you empower people enough, they'll make a decision based on, hopefully, all the information that they have. And I think that's missing a big part. Um, one One thing I find interesting is a woman will go on birth control and they'll go, oh, th- uh, finally, no more periods. Mm-hmm. I'm good.
1: I know. And I, I, <laughs> I've been there. I did like two years of like no periods. I was like, I'm smarter than my body. <laughs>
0: and, and, and I, yeah, exactly. I don't think anyone in the world is smarter than the body.
1: No. And, it's like we, we have, yeah, we wish. <laughs> right.
0: Isn't nature so perfect that it creates period for a particular reason and we're suppressing it and celebrating that we can suppress it. What about... Those, you know, I want to. I want to tell you something. I, went, I was at dinner the other day, and we were just chatting after dinner. And it's actually, if you're here, go to Gracias Madre. It's um, vegan Mexican food, but it's really good. Oh, really? Check it out. You, you may love it. Um, <laughs> Do you
1: see my little skepticism there? I know I'm like a little bit skeptical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm game to try. <laughs> it's. It's.
0: What, what is your Latin background?
1: it's hispanic yeah my grandmother's oh. from i actually grew up in the back of a mexican food restaurant oh. <laughs> so oh, that's okay. where the little like yeah i know i like, see i don't know I, my instagram stories i actually so i will go to whole foods or somewhere and like i think Trader Joe's is close so i'll go somewhere like that and i'll get like applegate sandwich meat and then broccoli sprouts or cruciferous mm-hmm. sprouts mm-hmm. and i call these like my healthy taquitos but mm-hmm. i was sharing that like a couple months ago and i was like if my grandma saw me say this she would slap me silly yeah <laughs> she'd yeah. be like no what old you school say? i know yeah.
0: It's it's Funny because, that better be some
1: corn and lard up in there. Yeah,
0: like a, bi- a lot of lard too, Yeah, right? Um, Which is
1: better than canola oil, everybody. Uh, much
0: better, and Pretty much anything's better than canola oil at this yeah. point. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So back to the story. We're sitting at a table and we're chatting. This was recently. And somehow the conversation got like, oh, what do you do like on the side when you're not doing this and this and that? So I, I talked about what I love to do. But then we got to um, one of the women at the table and she goes, I love to just track my cycle. And I was like, Huh? And the way she expressed it, yeah. I was like, "Wow!" I'm like so
1: excited right now. This was
0: my first time hearing. First time, thirty-four years, I think I am. First time ever <laughs> you don't hearing. Know how old you are I that. try to forget after 30 <laughs> it's right? Been a we just go long day in, the flow. in yeah. clinical practice. <laughs> exactly. So, but hearing that is so empowering because I go, "Wow, this is a woman who who really is so in touch." This, which she said, "I'm so in touch with my body now." Mm-hmm. And first time ever, I said, "The power of a cycle, a woman's cycle, and what it means to." the woman. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Because this was, this blew my mind away. Um, yeah. in your expertise. Yeah. Well, we
1: need to flip the script and this is something that, you know, I I got the story, my mom got the story, my grandma got the story and I led myself really, I mean, all the way up through almost my thirties with this story of like periods are inherently awful. They are the focal point, suppress them, do whatever you can to get rid of them. When in reality it's ovulation that's the focal point. And that's what we're really suppressing is ovulation. And that's why when you have a bleed on a pharmaceutical, that's a withdrawal bleed. So when you get into that placebo week, it's a withdrawal bleed and it's Mm. a medication induced period, but you didn't ovulate. So it's not a true menstrual cycle. And, you know, it's actually – I've had this conversation with my girlfriends of, like, how sad I am because in the next 10, 15 years, I'm not going to have a period anymore. And yet I spent, like, a good 10 years suppressing it and even more time hating on it and not realizing that hormones are really meant to give us superpowers and that you can work with your body throughout the month. And so, you know, it's something that, like, if you look at ovulation alone, look at the research – Look at the studies on strippers. They actually make more money while they're ovulating. And if you are a stripper and you are on the pill or any form of hormonal birth control, you make less tips. Like men perceive these differences. But women also perceive these differences being in their body. So as you're gearing up towards ovulation and your estrogen is rising less fine lines and wrinkles, more curves. Your lips are a lot fuller, so you feel like, you just feel a lot sexier. Your testosterone starts rising. That's not just about libido. That is like your kick ass, like get things done, kick ass. That's when we'll see energy come up as well. When progesterone gets just right, it stimulates the GABA receptor in your brain. Now you wanna hang out with your friends, your community, Mm -hmm. be really connected, and you feel really chill and calm. You love your life, and then, as that starts to diminish, you go a little more internal and withdrawn. This is where society gets it wrong in that they're like, oh, you're feeling a little bit tired and you don't want to hang out with your friends. You're broken. Something's wrong because it's very much of like, this is how a man operates. This is how a man works. Same, same, like whatever. And society's not set up to give permission to say, great, now it's time to go within. Like spend some time inside. Be internal. As your period comes, it's a great time to start evaluating where you're at, releasing things you don't need, especially if you're on that new moon cycle where you bleed with the new moon. I mean, that's darkness. That is, what does every like animal on the planet do? And if it's not a nocturnal creature, it is going inside. Mm-hmm. It is retreating from the planet. Whereas when it's a full moon, it's a very different energy that we run. But with that, you can de- you know strategizing everything. Your corpus callosum, which is the center of your brain, for the non-nerds, um, you're all nerds. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, I haven't yeah. converted you. Um, <laughs> it helps the both lobes of your brain communicate stronger. So it's a great time in that follicular phase to move towards that strategy and start strategizing things, and then start making your changes. Like your kick-ass nature comes up near ovulation, and then as you move into the luteal phase, you're way more articulate. So I was actually doing an interview um, in in person for Schmidt's podcast. You guys will have you'll have to hear the reference for it, and I was talking talking about this of like, oh yeah, in the early luteal phase, like you're like a straight up wordsmith. Like it's so easy to flow, but I was falling all over my words. And I'm like, by the way, I'm on my period right now. And that's what's going on because yeah. I'm like, I can't get the words out. No, doesn't mean that like, oh, does that mean, oh, I'm the lesser or oh, now yeah. I'm weaker? No, it just meant that like, I had to be in a situation trying to leverage superpowers that like it wasn't time for those superpowers. Like it would have behooved me to be like, let's strategize like what I'm going to be talking about and get ready my talks and line everything up. And like, what are we going to be like, you know, sharing with our community and how will we get it out there? Like that's really where I should have been in my, in terms of my energy, my cycle. But it's like, I can still perform and be there and be able to speak. But like, had I just ovulated and been moving into the luteal phase, I would have been way more articulate.
0: Yeah.
1: And interestingly, there is also a component of healing the brain in all of this. So there have been studies on soccer players that who get hit in the head a lot, um, as you can imagine. <laughs> but they get hit in the head and they suffer a concussion. If they're in their follicular phase, then they, in a, mu- a month later, they have less deficits than a woman in her luteal phase. Well, what was going on? This woman got hit in the head, she ovulates, progesterone comes up, it decreases brain inflammation, it's very nourishing, it helps those immune-activated cells not get too crazy in cleaning up the mess of the, the brain from the injury. But if you're in the luteal phase, you get to the place where boom, progesterone drops. Now you're at the mercy of estrogen rising, causing brain inflammation. Mm-hmm. By the way, nobody vilify estrogen. We all need estrogen. It's yeah. very, like, there's like there's been a trend. I mean, have you noticed where people are like, estrogen's the devil? Yeah, and it's yeah. Like,
0: everyone wants to lower their estrogen. Yeah,
1: but it's like, but, like, everyone wants to lower their estrogen as we sit in Hollywood, where people also are getting breast augmentation. And yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> we got to find that sweet spot because yeah. estrogen is what gives you your curves. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's more of the form of estrogen, right? Mm, Absolutely. That's what we want to work on. So that was really empowering, even as a man hearing it from (laughs) this side. I'm like, wow, I wonder if us men have rhythms like this, right? I know.
1: I don't study you guys as much, but that's why I'm like, we're cyclical creatures. Like daily we have have our cycles. Now, all humans do. We all follow our circadian rhythm. Chinese medicine has been saying it for like thousands Mm. of years. Research is just now showing, oh, they were right. Your organs do go on these biological clocks and like that's something that's again where we need the humility instead of coming out and be like we have shown this in the science we have to be like but we only questioned it because you know all these chinese medicine practitioners yeah. brought it up so many times
0: yeah 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 okay so so uh, with saying this conversation um when it comes to getting pregnant mm
1: mm-hmm. I like the way you say that.
0: Yeah. Because pre- it was like ambiguous. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I don't know from, from you know, my side, I don't want anyone getting pregnant right now, but um, the, look, we're being real, right? No, I'm
1: totally cracking up. You're like, it's not my time. Not right now. No, it's not ticking. So
0: women have been told basically one thing about their pregnancy, when in reality, you can get pregnant at how how many days in the month
1: oh this is so ridiculous yeah, so let's talk you about know it. like but for real like in the united states majority of the states do not mandate scientifically accurate sex education so what was i told because i had really religious parents they told me like you can get pregnant any time of the month any time of the month my mom i remember her like i remember being in the back of the minivan her yelling at me if you're on your period you can still get pregnant i was like why are we even talking about (laughs) this like i'm just trying to chill in the minivan and listen to my walkman like what's going on here with your
0: with your flannel around your waist
1: (laughs) yeah my flannel yeah Yeah, i probably had a fanny pack too. throwing it back. They're back in style though. Okay. I was just living in Paris and there's actually designer like we're talking three thousand, five thousand dollar, like Euro uh fanny packs. This is a tangent and just mind blown of like Side ponytails, how much of those going to cost us when those come
0: back? Yeah, okay. but it's not, it's not only the hormones that are cyclical, fashion is too, right? Yeah,
1: fashion is cyclical as yeah. well. So, Yeah, I mean, this is the reality, though, in women's medicine is it's usually not until a woman wants to get pregnant that she's taught when that can happen. But you know, not even then. Like, I just had someone write me, and they were like, I want to get pregnant. My doctor said to, ha- like, have sex every other day. And I was like, okay, what? well, that's fun. I mean, that's good. Yeah, if, if you enjoy that. But, like, really, there's this window. And when I talked her through it, she wrote me back a month later, pregnant. She's like, we had been trying forever. And now here we are pregnant. And she's like, and I just did exactly what you said. It was like, look for the fertile cervical mucus. Yeah. Like, so this is what a lot of us are taught. And it was, I mean... I come from a heavy science background. I had two physiology classes talking about the menstrual cycle before I ever got to medical school. And it wasn't until I was there and they were like, okay, fertility class, a woman wants to get pregnant. Here's the one day out of the month she's pregnant. One day out of the month. And that was part of my light bulb moment of like, wait a minute, I'm suppressing my hormones every day and I'm taking this medication that doesn't make me feel awesome, but I've been so afraid of pregnancy. For one day. For one day. Yeah. And yet the fertile window is, you know, five to six days because your sperm be tricky. Sperm's tricky and it can live longer. They just hang
0: out, huh?
1: They hang out. But the other thing, so I used to teach um, biology and there are mammals, there are other mammals who actually will capture and store sperm. So if <laughs> everybody, anybody has ever listened to me prior you know years before they've heard me say this of like you get in the mood that's your body being smart because you'll have sex you'll capture sperm then when you ovulate you have a higher odd you know probability that sperm and egg will meet and then this research came out and said oh there actually might be a little storage mechanism that like the female body has. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, like there's other mammals that have this, they have these crypts where they store sperm they can store it more than a week. I Mm -hmm. mean, they can store it for a long time because you know, that's an evolutionary adaptation of like, well, maybe they capture the sperm, they met that male, but they don't know when the environment's gonna be safe. Like they need to go find food, they need to get to a place. And so it's a very interesting adaptation that, yeah, when that research was blowing up, my husband's like, did you know that? Like you said that before, did you read a different study on that? I'm like, no, it's just how like, it's just that we forget as humans that we're animals and we're like, we're a lot like other mammals. But yeah, reality is one day out of the month and yet we get miseducation left and right. I mean, there are still, women who are being told that they can get pregnant from all different kinds of ways other than just having like penis meets vagina sex kind of intercourse going on. And so it's a very, um, it's a very interesting time right now to have social media. Like I think back there was no internet when I was a kid and going through this, but now I, 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 you know, women can get access to this information. They can also get access to misinformation and like, to think that they trust, like, their teachers in school. So there's actually a section of my book that's, like, what your sex ed teacher got wrong. Like, let's go through that. Because, you know, my sex ed teacher, when I finally had sex ed, was, like, a health teacher, not much training in health at all. And I think back to, like, I mean, great, I could put a condom on a banana, but, like, that's important because condoms have a high failure rate when not used appropriately. Mm-hmm. But, like, what about the conversation about just, like, how did my body work? Like, why was sex ed so focused on sex? Like, the threat of pregnancy is something we should all fear. It's a piece of it, but it's actually really easy to avoid when you know what's going on with your body. It is very hard, though. I will say this. You can practice fertility awareness method. You can use barrier methods, all this other stuff. When you're a teenager and your frontal lobe has not developed and your brain, I mean, sorry, men... There are other men in the room you guys can't even see. <laughs> I'm going to say this, but your brains, they, they get the override by hormones a lot easier in terms yeah. of, like, when it comes to, like, it's time for sex. It's sexy time. The brain's like, I'm not even thinking. Like, I just can't even function. Like, right. this is what's happening. And so just to say that, like, while I make it really simple, like, it's one day out of the month and this and that, we also have to educate teenagers in that, like, Your hormones are really like, uh, if you've seen the hormone monster on Netflix, yeah, it's it's real. It's funny because it's real. Like Ah. we all like (laughs) laugh about it because we're just like, oh my God, this is all this stuff that we're told we're not supposed to talk about, Yeah. but hello mammals, hello animals. This is what really goes on. It's
0: always fascinating to me how society suppresses one of our innate impulses to have sex and reproduce. As if it's naughty. (laughs) As if it's naughty. There's shame put around something that, again, we can do responsibly had there been proper education, right? Comprehensive education, empowering education, and um, it's something you're doing. So I I, I would think even further, because I just tend to think in my generation, but even younger generations who pick Mm -hmm. up the book, you know, you should feel good that a lot of these young women are going to be able to read it and get all of the stuff that they should have been learning in school.
1: Totally. And that's something that I mean, some of the best comments I've gotten are from moms who are like, I bought the book, I I read it for myself, I'm getting my hormones optimized. And then I passed there was this one mom, this is so sweet. She passed it to her 19-year-old daughter who was contemplating birth control. And then she said that her 19-year-old daughter is reading it out loud to her 16-year-old daughter every night. And they're going through it together. Like, I want to cry right now Mm because I'm just like, I didn't have a sister like that. (laughs) And, like, I would have loved to have that. But, like, just to think, like, multiple generations. And then I have women who are in their 60s reading the book being like, I finally know what's going on. I don't have periods anymore anymore but to just know I wasn't crazy. It wasn't in my head. What I was experiencing wasn't normal. Like for every time I was dismissed, I finally feel validated. And like, that was not, I didn't see that coming. That was like unintentional healing on next level of women going back and being like, well, I struggled for decades. Now I finally have made peace with that struggle. And I don't have that stigma and that dogma that I'm carrying like a weight with me.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, you're transcending. Okay, so before, like, towards the end of this, I love environmental toxicity. I love environmental medicine.
1: You like environmental toxicity? No, your, no. <laughs> you know, but I, I
0: love learning about it. <laughs> yeah,
1: just exactly. Thanks, <laughs> but but oh. it's
0: just so important because the relationship we have to environment is sort of having implications in so many diseases, and there's yeah. nothing definitive. We're learning more and more, especially in my realm, and now how sensitive hormones are how much of a threat is something like BPA for hormones
1: so much and I have to actually share that last night I was on Instagram I am Sahara Rose I love her Instagram account
0: we're gonna get her on here
1: oh really she's yeah. great I haven't I haven't met her in person I just like came across her I think like six weeks ago and I was like who is this amazing person mm-hmm. like love her um and I it was a picture of a of Stingray, I believe it was a stingray, Um, swimming in the ocean in Hawaii and just so much trash. And I showed it to my husband and he was like, Oh, is this like an environmental Instagram account? Like they're highlighting this problem. I'm like, This. And I scrolled through her feed and I showed him the whole account and I was like, This is somebody talking about doshas, Mm -hmm. talking about Ayurveda, like, you know, meditating. Like this, look at her feed. And this is her in the water in Hawaii. And like, we both like lost, lost it. It was probably a good 90 minutes yeah. of us yelling back and forth about it because, you know, and he grew up a surfer and near the ocean and to think that, in the last 10 years, I could go snorkeling. I could get in the water and, like, you barely saw trash and how rapidly we are seeing this. And we think that, like, we – this is a problem. We are very removed from our food supply, so we have ethical issues and all these conversations that take place that, like, we're not close enough to our food source and we're not close enough to our waste either, which nobody wants to be close to their waste, and I totally get that. And it's, there's there's that, you know, you know that cholera thing and all that. Yeah. that. <laughs> um But it's more of, like – we don't see where our trash goes. Like, we don't see what happens to it. And so we feel this disconnect. We also have been taught, and this this idea that's been perpetuated in society, that we're top of the food chain. We're the best of the best. And so, like, nothing else matters, so to speak. And whether it's consciously being said to you, there is an undercurrent of that. of Like, you deserve to buy everything in the world and to not have to worry about plastic or where that's going or any of those things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I grew up with Captain Planet, and so I think a lot about that. I'm like, we had to have a cartoon, yeah. and yet look at where we're still at. And so with this, why I bring all of this up, and it's important for us to understand, is that women will say, like, I don't drink out of plastic, or I make sure that, like, I buy, you know, these things or do these things, and that's great, and it's a great step, However, we also have to recognize what's in our environment. Now, these environmental toxins, which are xenoestrogens, i say they act like estrogen in all the wrong ways. They grab onto your receptors and they misbehave. as like crazy. We're also coming to understand, so there's been this theory of autoimmunity. Dr. Fasano came up with this and I talk about it in my book, which is that you've gotta have three ingredients. This is the way I say it, these ingredients. Anytime I can talk about food, that's what I wanna do. So. You have to have genetics, you have to have intestinal permeability, the hyperintestinal permeability, more specifically leaky gut, and you need to have a triggering event. But now we're starting to understand that these environmental toxins can circumvent the genetics, and so in which, like... Um, Dr. Karazian was an early mentor of mine. If you guys don't know who he is, look him up. He's amazing.
0: I've seen him talk. Yeah. 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 He's awesome.
1: So he's like where I got my foundation in thyroid health. Like I, in my first year of <laughs> naturopathic medical school, I found him, I had a conference. I was like, you are going to mentor me. We're going to be friends. And, um, he actually came out with a study where they were like, people ingest BPA, Not all the BPA comes out. Where's it going? And actually showing that it can grab, the proteins meet BPA and boom, autoimmunity with someone who didn't have the genetics for it. Like something is going on. And we have to acknowledge that, yes, there's the effect on hormones, but these environmental toxins are affecting everything. Why are we seeing the highest rates of autism of autoimmunity of infertility of degenerative brain disease like all of these things going on and people we always want to point to one thing and yes i can point to the pill as contributing to all of this but there's environmental toxins yeah. as well and the reality is is that when we approach a human and this is very much an naturopathic philosophy is that we have to look at the bucket and we have to look at how full is their bucket. And this is especially important when we talk about something like cancer risk while you're on birth control, is that doctors will be like, no, you know, it's like, it's like 20% increased risk and it's not that big of a deal, and like, don't worry about it. But did you ask, where did she grow up? Did she grow up being sprayed with pesticides or near a super fun site? Did she, you know, does she eat organic? Like, what does she put on her face every day? What is, what is she living in her environment with? Like there, are like, what, you know, did her mom get exposed to chemicals? Like there are all of these factors that come into play and why they matter is, is because, well, your body might be handling the detox and dealing with the environmental toxins and all that the pill may come in and be one more drop in the bucket that causes the thing to overflow. Exactly. And so, you know, this is something that's really near and dear to my heart. My, um, one of my favorite residents, I don't know if I should pick favorites, but I have a resident in my clinic. Um, and I love her, but her five-year-old was diagnosed with multiple ovarian cancers Mm -hmm. at five. And what they found out later is that she was on a super fun site at a very young age. And it's something that like she had done just about everything right. But she had missed, she didn't know that. Like she did not know that because of, you know, there's a lot of factors, politics, all kinds of things, but she didn't know that. But I think about those kinds of situations of like what we didn't know and like, what can we do about that? There's not a whole lot that we can do about what we didn't know or what was happening before. There's so much you can do today and the power Of healing. (laughs) We all just made faces because there was some loud noise. But the power of healing and what it takes to stay out of the doctor's office and to stay away from those big, scary, you know, the big, scary diagnosis is what you do every day. And it's what you put at the end of your fork. It is how you talk to yourself. Also, something that's really overlooked is that you can talk nice to yourself and it can lower inflammation quicker than like meditation in some people. Yeah, like yeah. how powerful is that? And how many of us are taught to hate on ourselves because that sells a product, mm-hmm. which then goes into the environment. <laughs> like yeah. it I mean, is all connected.
0: It is all connected. And that's why I preach in so many ways, the power of what self-love, self-meditation, self-dialogue, connection with yourself. See, this is why
1: you need a Sahara Rose. Yeah. On oh, oh,
0: oh, that, that, that'll be a great conversation mm-hmm. we'll have. I mean, Ayurveda will be a wonderful topic too. That's exactly what I say. Drops in the bucket, drops in the bucket, drops in the bucket. And that's why I'm passionate about environmental medicine is because we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. You can eat impeccably. You can work out every day and you can still be diagnosed with a multitude of diseases Mm -hmm. because it's a lot of the environment too. And in many ways, we can empower ourselves to understand that, maybe not change our past. But, yeah, but but I understand
1: that. But I mean, that's something that like we we need to dollar vote now <laughs> with like I mean I remember when I started dating my husband and I was eating organic and he was like, you have to go out of your way for organic and it's so expensive. But I mean, I remember when I was eating organic and there was this little tiny stinky health food store because it had like all the herbs and everything I didn't understand, like (laughs) all this plant smell um, that you had to go to, to get organic or the one booth at the farmer's market that would have Mm -hmm. organic. And now look, like we do have the power. We think we don't, that we really do have the power to create that change. But there's also a really big problem in that the burden lies, like before they, and it happens with like drugs as well. It's like drugs enter the market, uh, environmental toxins enter the market. These things enter the market. They get used ubiquitously. And then we ask questions later. And it's like the burden of proof are on the people who are like, let's just hold back and question this for a minute. It's not on the people who are like, let's introduce something to the environment that we can never take back. Like Mm -hmm. that is baffling to me.
0: Yep. Baffling. And you know, that, doesn't that also reemphasize how much power we have in, it's, it's crazy because these companies that'll be poisoning us, if we vote with our dollar, they'll be the first ones to make something organic too. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're making organic soda, totally you know, organic sugar drinks.
1: Well, and we're seeing like these, these bigger corporations and I, you know, people are like, this is a terrible thing. Big corporations are buying things like Epic Bar and, and buying, uh, you know, Primal Kitchen. RX it, Bar. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, but they actually like that's like a good turning of the current where they're like, wait a minute, consumers actually want these products and they'll pay more for them. We, uh, corporations for a long time thought that like we wanted the cheapest, didn't care what in it was in it mm-hmm. products as long as it was cheap and it tasted yeah. good, which you know some people who's that's still their jam, yeah. but now they're starting to shift and they're making those changes, and it's something that like read your labels, people, make sure they, they, they hold it up and they, they're still doing their due diligence. But it's, it is a thing to see that like, we actually have the influence to shift a corporation away from like what has been their primary, um, you know, their primary products towards products that are more, more fringe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, we're so powerful and we don't even know it. And that's what I, I try to do here and just empower people. So, all right. So one, if I'm a teenage girl in eighth grade, you know, not wearing overalls, whatever the trend is. All right. What is
1: the trend? I don't, I don't know what the know. trend is. Whatever oh, not um, that cool.
0: Whatever uh, Jenner's doing. Kylie Jenner. The problem.
1: Oh, see, I had a moment where I was yeah. like, Jenner, who?
0: Yeah, whatever she's doing, but <laughs> probably. What is one piece of advice that you would tell me to let me know that hey, I can empower myself as a young, young girl?
1: Well, no one else lives in your body but you. So you're the only one who knows what your normal is and that your period problems are actually signals from the body and an opportunity to address that root issue. And so that's um, chapter four of my book, which is like, you have heavy periods. This is what to investigate. Doctors should test this. Here's what you do right now. You have painful periods. Here's what to do right now. I mean, simple things like you have painful periods. Like I was, oh, this is so bad. I would plug in the electric blanket and hold it against my reproductive organs. I don't even want to know about the EMFs that was letting off back Mm. in the day. Um, But to know that like you you can get magnesium oil and actually rub that on your pelvis. You can take a magnesium supplement if you need to. You can make sure you're pooping every day. You can track your symptoms and see when your acne outbreak is and then intervene. Like you can build your own user manual and really like this is what scientists do. Observe. Hypothesis, test it, observe. Like, you can do that in your own body and build your user manual to understand yourself better than anyone else. I mean, that is amazing. I wish anyone had told me that before of like, you know, how you're counting that down as doomsday, X is on your calendar. That's actually cool that you know and you can predict when your period comes. And, like, so, I mean, it's something like when we talk about acne. It's estimated that almost 60% of women who are given hormonal birth control, the primary reason is for symptom management. Acne constitutes about 14% of that. It's it's something I have real talk in my book about of like, you might have acne because of PCOS and what you may be trading is clear skin for risk of diabetes or risk of a heart attack. And like, that is something that like, if you told my 14 year old self that, I'd be like, that's an old people thing. Yeah, it is. And it starts when you're 14. It's just when it started. Sorry. Like, that's the reality of it. But you can actually, you know, start to understand your body a lot better, start to work with it. And with acne, if you break out and you're like, oh, it's just before ovulation. That's testosterone levels rising. Can we get zinc in? Can we make sure? Maybe you need a little saw palmetto. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you could have a little bit of nettle root coming in. Like these simple things that you could make dietary practices and bring in. Um, maybe you're having acne just before your period comes because of the imbalance of progesterone and estrogen ratio. Getting seed cycling on board, making sure you have fiber for elimination. I mean. One of the, seriously, this is something so many times I ask this question to my patients. They're like, I had a breakout and they seem to come out of nowhere when it's not cyclical. And I'm like, how are your bowels leading up to that? Oh, I was constipated. There you go. Waste has got to get out one way or another. And when they identify that, they're like, okay, when I travel, I take magnesium citrate with me. So I make sure I keep my bowels moving because that's a trigger for me. When you start to figure that out, you can work with your body and then you understand your threshold so that you're like, Dairy's my trigger. I can have a piece of cheese. I'm fine. I have five pieces of cheese. I have I'm acne. I going to the
0: bathroom. I have acne yeah. and all those things. That's wonderful. I'm so happy that you're able to educate not only women our generation, but the younger generation. Um, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming here.
1: Thank you for the nerdy bugs. Yeah, yeah. I even saw you my boy, Albert Einstein in the back. Oh, we have
0: Tesla. We have Einstein. We have all of these uh, people who've... <laughs> It's influenced me this a This is like
1: bit. a nerdy art room. You weren't kidding. I
0: know, I know. Yeah. This is the way it comes out. But, but um, you
1: know, I want to say Albert Einstein, legit genius, is the one who said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. So- Take that to heart, ladies. If your doctor gives you hormonal birth control and it didn't work and then they give you a new one and a new one, that is the definition of sanity. Like right there, legit genius said it, not Dr.
0: Brayton. (laughs) How do I even top that outro? That was like (laughs) perfect in every single way. Thank you, doctor, for coming.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay.